Listening to the Retail Perch with Shaker Raman and Gary Hawkins. We're going to discuss industry challenges and opportunities in grocery retail, AI, current and upcoming trends, and so much more. Hey, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Retail Perch. And uh, I know we took a week's gap there in between Gary, just trying to enjoy the weather and kind of stay cool in this heat, I guess. Uh, yeah, God, it's hard to believe summer is almost over and Labor Day is just around the corner. I know, I know. These summers go, you know, I think we went straight from winter into summer this time because it was just so hot and it's still hot next week. But hope, hopefully you guys out there are staying cool and I want to appreciate uh, your support for this podcast. And we are, I think before the end of the year, we'll be finishing our 100th episode. So here we are in the last quarter of our run here for the year. But today we have a... Uh, very interesting guest. One more interesting guest at the Retail Perch and somebody with a lot of experience and very, uh, you know, varied background. So I want to welcome Russ Hawkins, who is not, by the way, a cousin of Gary Hawkins. I just want to <laughs> let you guys know. Um, before you think that we're sourcing our guests from internally in our family. <laughs> total coincidence. Total coincidence. Exactly. It's total coincidence. But uh, Russ comes to us from a huge background, including, I see... Lucent Technologies, which used to be my old employer a long, long time ago. But uh, Russ, welcome to the Retail Perks. Great to have you here. Oh, thank you, Shaker. I'm very, very happy to be here. And Cousin Gary, good to see you too again. Good to see you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let, let, let me know when the family reunion is. I will. I'll, I'll, I'll let you know about that. Yeah. Anyway, so so Russ, if you can take a few minutes, just give us a quick background, you know, your career, you know, how'd you wind up with Agilence, what you do before, I can clearly see that you've got very interesting background here. So, Well, I started out, uh, I'm from Boston originally and started out um, in the uh, telecommunications business, actually, uh, working for uh, originally New England Telephone and then a variety of names over the years, uh, ultimately ending up in Lucent and in the, in the late 90s, I, like a lot of people, became very interested in what was happening in the networking business and the technology business and ended up trying to uh, uh, get into uh, an entre entrepreneurial role and, and ended up uh, working for first a data communications company up in Connecticut, then a high-performance computing company down in uh, in Pennsylvania before I got into the software business. And Agilence is a data analytics company focused on retailers and restaurant chains. We, we typically are dealing with companies with hundreds of location. And uh, we started out in the restaurant business, specifically looking at uh, asset protection and loss prevention opportunities with our software package. And uh, over the years, we have evolved uh, dramatically beyond that into a variety of other areas. We help, and we have about uh, 34 grocery chains uh, that uh, use our technology about uh, almost a thousand locations each. So, so close to 30,000 uh, grocery stores uh, across primarily the United States. We do a little bit in, um, in convenience stores as well, and a little bit in drugstores, which in my mind are, at least the front end of drugstores are very much like grocery stores. Uh, at least they're, they're evolving that way. And so, you know, as, we, as we've evolved, we've uh, helped our customers solve problems in the revenue management and uh, customer attraction and retention area. 
We've built on our asset protection uh, business to uh, include things like labor management and inventory management. And then finally, we do a number of use cases around compliance, with compliance with, uh, with external laws like money laundering and age verification and those kinds of things. But more importantly, helping our customers get alignment on strategy and culture uh, from the boardroom to the stockroom, as I like to say it. So we've got about 70 people uh, in, based in New Jersey, and we're growing at about 40% a year as people take advantage of our technologies. That's really cool. That's fantastic. So, so primarily, this is a data analytics platform that's providing insights around those three key areas, right? So That's correct, yep. That's yeah, correct. revenue, yeah. revenue. I guess you're giving a view into revenue, labor management, and I guess loss prevention. That's like you said. Yeah, I would call it the revenue, uh, revenue management, uh, cost, revenue and management. Okay. cost and expense controls, and uh, and compliance would be the three areas that we we talk about. But there's lots of sub areas in there, and right, uh, right. you know, one great thing about our technology is that we don't know the full extent of how to use it. Uh, one of the things that we have done. Uh, with our customer base is to uh, encourage a, a community idea uh, sharing among uh, the customer base. And uh, most of the good ideas about how to use our product come from our customers. And uh, we're smart enough to say, okay, they know it, they know it better than us. So we'll take, uh, we'll take what they're suggesting and we'll share it with the rest of the group. And that whole kind of community ecosystem has proven to be uh, a tremendous asset for us as we've, uh, as we've built our business. Nice, nice. So, so I'm uh, clearly technology has had, and the evolution of uh, machine learning and AI must have had an impact on some of the processes and how you're able to manage this large volume of data. So, what's some of the things that you think have happened in the last ten years that you could not do before? Well, I think there's uh, at least half a dozen, probably more areas. One that you you guys know well is in the whole personalization area of messaging and of uh, promotions and the whole loyalty, the evolution of the loyalty business. But, you know, there's a number of other things that, that are going on in our background, you know, from uh, uh, reducing of, of losses in the business, the kind of combination of computer vision with the visual artificial intelligence has driven uh, a lot of uh, opportunities and a, and a lot of use cases for us uh, could be as simple as uh, analyzing the processes that go on inside the stores, looking at you know process automation and those kinds of things, with the evolution of some of the other technologies that, that have come on board. Uh, Self checkout, for example, is is heavily leveraging things like uh, computer vision to help improve both throughput as well as uh, giving the grocery managers confidence that you know people aren't just walking out of the stores with with things it becomes a uh, it, it's uh, useful to have uh, some of these technologies uh, in combination a couple of other things that are happening on the on the asset protection area you know a long-standing area for grocers that are has been of some concern is what so-called direct store delivery where third-party companies like uh, consumer consumer products groups and those that are essentially stores within a store. They, they own shelf space in these stores and, you know, they have employees moving in and out of the store, delivering material, removing material. There's uh, lots of opportunity for mistakes to be made, lots of opportunity for, unfortunately, people trying to game the system to some extent, but 
so that's been a, a growing area. And increasingly things like uh, just um, management, managing the workforce and getting better leverage out of the team, making sure that they understand uh, what the objectives of the company are. Most often that includes a heavy focus on customer satisfaction. So a lot of things in, in those areas around, around asset protection. But, you know, other ways that AI and uh, other technologies have been coming to the fore, especially recently, are things like dynamic pricing is starting to take hold, where we've got companies that are, you know, gathering pricing information on a, a near real-time, or in some cases, real-time basis by, you know, scraping websites, uh, monitoring uh, competitor e-com, looking at competitor, at right down to a very local level. Uh, looking at com competitor promotions and having the ability to very quickly make an assessment of the the pricing positioning of the of the grocer themselves. So, for example, you know you've got forty thousand, fifty thousand SKUs in a grocery store, and you know almost by definition you're going to have some of those SKUs are going to be priced right, some of them are going to be priced aggressively, and you know there's some technologies now around that allow companies to get almost immediate feedback on how their pricing compares with their local competitors and with uh, with online stores. You know, one of the things they're most interested in is where they're out of line on price, right? Where they're priced too high because they're quickly going to lose uh, lose uh, sales volume to the competitors. So that yeah. whole area of dynamic pricing is a very interesting. Uh, it ties right into uh, inventory management and, and quality control. You know, knowing oftentimes what products you could sell or should be selling. If you know what your competitors are doing, you may right. find there's yeah. things that you know that you're not you're not covering. Technology has been applied in a lot of other areas as well. Uh, the whole kind of cashierless economy is is emerging on us right now. We're seeing companies yeah. like uh, so, so can I can I hold you there? Pause sure. for a second. So when you're talking about labor management and time management, so. How has this technology kind of helped in the last couple of years? You know, there was a lot of labor shortages with, you know, that a lot of companies face, right? People just weren't coming back to work. Is there any application of this platform to help optimize available labor resources at a retailer? Well, not sure. We're not really uh, going to help them too much on the recruiting front, but we can right. make, we make better utilization of the of the labor. We help them make better utilization. In the last couple of years, we've had uh, this you know cataclysmic event uh, for grocers with the advent of the the pandemic, mm -hmm. and that has changed a lot of things. Right, uh, uh, first of all, customers want to buy differently. Uh, oftentimes, uh, we've seen, you know, in addition to Instacart, other third-party ordering and delivery apps are are becoming more uh, important. Uh, curbside pickup has become much more uh, important during this period. Right. Uh, so, by understanding, you know, what kind of volume is moving through these various uh, delivery channels, uh, our customers are more easily able to match their labor spend with the needs of, of their customers. And, you know, some of the technologies have also reduced the need for, uh, for customers, uh, for, for labor. Uh, there's an interesting company out there that, you know, recently you may have heard the last couple of days, uh, Amazon had just bought Roomba. Well, there's, a, there's an earlier combination, a, a company called Brain Corporation, that their original business was in uh, using robots to monitor out of stocks in the store. So rather than having a person going around and 
looking at auto stocks and uh, even uh, expired uh, material, they're starting to use robots. This particular company, I thought it was very, very clever what they did. They acquired uh, a a company that did kind of Roomba-like, but you know, grocery stores have these big machines that will scrub the aisles at night. And so this software company went out and bought a, a robot company and they mount their cameras on these uh, machines that do uh, cleaning the floors at the same time that they- uh, They're they doing inventory. They're, exactly. They're, so you know, this is uh, this is uh, taking some of the pressure off some of the the overnight labor that's required to to run these stores. So that's uh, fascinating. Fascinating. I, I know we we lost Gary there briefly. I'm sure he's going to be back. But let me let me ask you a question around. I know you talked about inventory management and pricing. Is that something that also that you think Agilent is Agilent involved in that side of things, or is it? Uh, well, from a pricing standpoint, so most of our work historically has been forensic. So we tell customers ah, tell it. customers what they've done up till yesterday. But uh, increasingly now, we're using machine learning techniques to extrapolate those. Uh, and be predictive about where pricing ought to be. And, uh, and so we're adding features and functionality uh, around that to help our customers better assess what the market requirements are and to, to be nimble in their pricing on, a, on, an, on an ongoing basis. We are doing a little bit of that. Got it, got it. So Russ, yeah, I spent a little bit of time on your website going through everything. And it uh, looks like you also do some work around uh, promotion analysis and helping retailer understand what promotions are effective versus not effective? Absolutely. And, and most of the time, what we're doing is we're providing a, a tool that allows the people responsible for those functions inside the business to make better, quicker decisions. You know, time to data is critical today. And so, you know, from a promotion standpoint, that, you know, there's there's often the way the process has historically worked is, uh, you know, a marketer and headquarters will come up with an idea of a promotion and even loyalty programs. And, you know, they'll have a theory about how a loyalty program or a promotion is going to impact sales. And uh, oftentimes, historically, they've had to wait certainly days, but oftentimes weeks or months to determine whether that promotion was effective or not effective. Did it achieve the goals? Uh, that that it was laid out for. And we give our customers near real-time ability to assess that. So if they're breaking a new promotion, uh, we can tell them, first of all, are all the stores honoring that promotion? Is is the promotion having an impact across the the way? And a lot of times uh, uh, there are stragglers. There are stores that, you know, didn't put the promotional material out or they didn't uh, uh, implement, uh, they didn't get them, they didn't get Uh, the signage out. They didn't get the actual uh, inventory out onto the floor. So we help them understand the effectiveness of the program. And increasingly, we're helping them predict uh, whether you know particular uh, promotions are, are going to achieve the goals. So there's a feedback loop there that that helps them design better promotions and get better, you know, incremental improvement over time and get better and better at what they're doing. So, so we're, we're we're embracing a lot of these areas. And that's an example of the kinds of things where customers are teaching us, right? Mm. Most of the professionals in the in the in these organizations, they know the questions they want to ask. They know the kinds of 
objectives they have. They know the problems that they've endured in the past, and they're 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 looking for ways to get better. And so they they've embraced our tool. Oftentimes, uh, uh, they find that you know our time to data is better than other. Uh, ways that they can get information, and that lets them react much more quickly to the uh, the challenges. So they're 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 knowing in a matter of hours whether the promotion is successful. It gives them the opportunity to tweak them kind of real time, uh, and then get better results out of the out of the dollars that they're expending. And and you know, quite frankly, does it meet the objectives that they set? Are they actually getting an overall sales lift? when they promote certain products. And so being able to compare not just the individual uh, SKU or group of SKUs, but uh, also to, uh, uh, to determine whether the overall volume- uh, in Right, kind of like what's the halo effect of the promotion, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right. yeah. that's cool. I know you talk about just slightly changing topics that there's a certain element of risk when I guess, especially in the pandemic, people had to scramble to put together e-commerce solutions to make sure people can order online. And a lot of people had to rely on third parties to kind of bring that capability up online, like the Instacarts of the world. <laughs> I know you 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 think that there's some risks associated with it. What, what specifically do you think are the risks for a grocer when they- Well, in a word, the first word I would say is the customer data, is having access to the, to the customer data. There's a there's a, a rich vein of opportunity for most grocers by understanding the buying behaviors, uh, the product affinities that individual customers have, understanding the different cohorts of customers that uh, are frequenting their store. And you know, early on, Instacart has changed some of their policies now. But but early on, you know, Instacart uh, was kind of holding the data and not really sharing the customer's own data with with them, and so. That has uh, that has um, uh, created an evolution in, in the perspective of these uh, grocers. A couple of other uh, things are in the uh, one one thing in particular for grocers, especially those that have house brands, is uh, when you when you delegate the picking of orders to a third party. That third party is going to have different objectives than you have. You may want to substitute a house brand or a, a private label brand. Uh, rather than another national brand for something that might be out of stock. Uh, and you lose control of, of that customer interaction by, uh, by uh, uh, relying on these third parties. So uh, we're seeing a trend now for companies uh, to be building their own e-com platforms and their own picking and delivery platforms. And of course, the venture community and the technology community is responding with, let's call them Instagram, Instacart variants that promise to retain or have that, have that grocer retain the data. But I think it's really data access and data management and protecting the data, which is effectively theirs. I mean, it's their customers that are creating the data. It's their stores that are creating the data. They need to leverage it. And of course, there's lots of different levels of sophistication among among grocers. And so we see lots of opportunity to educate uh, companies about uh, best practices. And, uh, and as a result of some of this, we've seen Instacart change some of their policies so that they share more of the data and the, the grocer has more say in, in what's happening. Another area that is very important in my view is in the prepared foods area. Prepared foods is a, is a huge revenue driver, a huge halo effect around prepared foods. So 
uh, being able to predict demand uh, on that, uh, let's call it the, the rotisserie chicken, for example. If you're if you're consistently running out of rotisserie chicken, you're not getting any of the halo around that rotisserie chicken sales because if I'm a uh, right. A household that's coming in to you know pick up tonight's meal, I'm almost certainly going to buy uh, other things, and and so I want to be able to make sure that I capture all of that stuff. So yeah, um, well, talking about Instacart data, I think uh, Gary and I can spend the rest of the day talking about it. <laughs> it's been a topic of many episodes on the retail perch, and I think you know you're absolutely right. I think when it comes to data, and we talk to some retailers who don't have a sense into who's buying what. And it's a little scary sometimes because you feel that they're flying completely blind, all right? They have no idea. All they know is aggregated sales by category and store, and they don't know the makeup of their customers, their behaviors, or if there's a change in trends. It's all, you know, it's you, by the time you know it, it's too late, right? And you can't really, even if you do know it, you don't know how to reach these customers because you don't know who they are. So, you know, it's just a, a lot of issues when you don't have, and I think, even people like Walmart, who've largely been price-driven, are slowly starting to think about implementing a loyalty platform of some sorts, right? I think uh, Walmart Plus is something, something along those lines is in the works. Uh, so, you know, I can imagine that, uh, I mean, it's impossible. I mean, you, when you start looking at data, which is customer identified, and you you can easily draw inferences and insights, you wonder what people without that data even do. Right. Well, yeah, exactly. But I think a lot of the times they're flying by the seat of their pants, right? They do have, uh, they do have information about, as you mentioned, high-level aggregated sales numbers and those kinds of things. But a lot of times they're, you know, these are professionals that have many years of experience and they're right. leveraging their own instincts and their own experience, which, by the way, may not be right. It, may, it certainly is. Uh, there's a high probability that it's not right in today's world, especially what we've gone through in the last several years. Yeah, well, you know, as, as retail competition continues to evolve and we see more digital native companies getting into retail and certainly Amazon is, you know, the, the big one, but digital natives are much more uh, data savvy, you know, and, and they just couldn't imagine, I, I think, doing business without all this data. And I think that gives them a real advantage over more traditional retailers that don't have this data. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right so a couple of weeks ago, we had a guest from Retail Feedback Group, Doug Maidenberg, one of the principals there. And they ran a survey among shoppers about how much margin they thought the shoppers thought that the grocers made. And apparently <laughs> they all thought uh, that the grocers make make about 30% profit. Oh my God. <laughs> right? That's, <laughs> That's the perception, which, you know, obviously Gary and I laughed at that, like, you know, they're, they're kind of like living by the skin of their teeth. Oh, we all know, you know, how low the margins are in supermarket. And given that, obviously, loss prevention, shrinkage, all that becomes super important, right? And so, you know, what do you, from, you, from what your vantage point, what are you seeing as, you know, ways that grocers could maybe save some of that margin? Where are they losing it that's preventable, you think? Well, some of the things we've already talked about, part of the part of the answer here, the prepared foods obviously is higher margin stuff and it has a big halo around that. But, you know, there's there's really kind of, I think, usually I think of it as this kind of three categories of losses. There's expected losses, right? The, the, you, you, you have uh, perishable goods, uh, the deli and then the fruits and vegetables and even prepared foods where 
managing the production and the availability of that of that product, reducing the amount of waste that you uh, that you have to dispose of, can be very significant and can and it can help if you can get a better handle on that, be better better able to predict volumes, better able to predict uh, categories and individual food items that uh, the demand for those things is going to make you better at, at inventory management and reduce this uh, so-called expected shrink as they, as they describe it. The two other areas is kind of what I, what I call uh, accidental and intentional losses, right? So there, the, unfortunately, there, was a, there are intentional losses, right? Which is uh, you have the unfortunate situation where some of your employees are your silent partners. You don't really know that you're, they're your partners, but uh, they, they end up being your partners. And so things like uh, sweethearting, also known as passing, is something that's pretty common in grocers. Some of the things that you can do there is look for affinity among products, right? I'm buying, buying cocktail sauce, but I'm not buying any bags of shrimp. Hmm. I wonder, wonder what I'm dipping the, the, the shrimp into. So uh, looking at those uh, kinds of things, looking at um, affinity between employees is, an, is another uh, area in the whole, uh, the whole sweethearting and passing area. A, a, a greatly emerging area, one that's accelerating now, being done on a standalone basis, but in, in, in places like you know, Amazon and, and others, but self-checkout is, uh, is becoming more and more important. It's helping Partially the embrace of this more recently is partially a reflection of what we were talking about earlier in terms of labor availability. And it makes, makes grocers very, very nervous. They've been very, very slow. The technology has been around for a long time, but they've been relatively slow to embrace it because of fear of, uh, of losing lots of, uh, lots of material. And uh, so now with you know, computer vision and, and other techniques, they're able to get confidence that these uh, self-checkout operations can be, can be done and can be done efficiently yet. and without the you know, annoying place your item in the box, you know, place your item in the bag that, that uh, you know, kind of plagued uh, some of the early deployments of, of self-checkout. So, so monitoring self-checkout, having the ability to analyze performance of those self-checkouts, looking at data analytics along with artificial intelligence is helping them improve that and get more confidence. And, and that pays dividends in multiple ways. It better serves customers because many customers want to have that, you know, the, the, the frictionless uh, uh, checkout process. And it also reduces labor costs on, on their part. Now, now we're seeing the evolution of uh, smart carts and apps that have not only the ability to have you self-serve, but also provide maps of where the where the the items that you're looking for are in the in the store. So uh, the the uh, the shopper can move uh, very effectively and quickly through the store. I know that for, for me, you know, historically in my family, I didn't do much of the shopping, and when my wife gives me a shopping list, I end up taking twice as much time because I don't know where anything is and I have to walk around the aisles, search for this. Russ, you're, you're talking about the origin story of bird's eye. That's how we started. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and that's Because <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't find half the things in a supermarket. <laughs> and so hopefully you give good credit to your 11-year-old daughter at the time, I guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It keeps coming up and we're still negotiating. So. <laughs> 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 uh, Russ, no, but... Go ahead. Uh, so, Russ, you just mentioned like smart carts. 
I'm wondering if you are working with any retailers where you've got access to some of these new data streams like smart carts or you know, computer vision like Amazon's, you know, just walk out technology where they're monitoring the entire store. Uh, because I got to believe there's some just incredibly powerful insights that come out of uh, that new data. Absolutely. And, and that's, I mean, that's really the foundation of our company, which is to essentially aggregate all of the available data in the store and then manage it. So we harmonize the data so that it can be compared with other data sources. We uh, have uh, under development now a bunch benchmarking product. So when we do this harmonization of the data, we're, we're doing it in a way that will allow us to compare performance from one grocer to another. So they know how they're doing against a, a, a peer group. Today, we bring in uh, pretty much every transactional data source. Uh, our, typically our, our customers start with uh, half a dozen data sources. We bring in the uh, the POS transaction log in a very, very granular detail. We bring in the e-com feeds that they, that they have, uh, the store file, which often has uh, uh, inventory component to it. Some stores have different, different product mixes than others. The uh, employee file, the, specifically the item file, so everything that they, that they sell, and often the loyalty information. And increasingly, these other uh, data sources are being incorporated into, into our databases. You know, after we harmonize this stuff, what we do is we enhance it and we improve it by uh, adding uh, operators. Uh, they can be mathematical or statistical operators, and we make them accessible to our customers. They, they can take this resulting database and ask questions of it using using a, a data analytics tool that we that we provide to them. And so we are we are we're really all about bringing all the relevant data into the database and making it easily accessible uh, to our customers. When what I mean by easily accessible is you don't have to have a you know a, a PhD to to figure out how to ask your questions. You can ask your questions uh, in basic math terms or in basic English terms. And, uh, and you can get the answers that you need now. Uh, and uh, that allows you to make better decisions on a, on a much more timely basis. So, hmm. so yeah, the, the, uh, the evolution of, uh, of those kinds of uh, technologies, RFID technologies is another one that's, uh, that's we're incorporating into the solution. And from our view is the more the merrier, the more, the more data that we can aggregate, the more valuable we can make our, the databases that we're creating and the more valuable our tool can be for helping customers answer the questions that they already know. Like I said, we're not, we're not gonna tell a marketer uh, how to do their job, but we're gonna give them a tool that lets them do their job better. That's, that's what we're all about. Oh, fascinating. So let's see, we're, we're about a few minutes uh, to the end here. I got a question for you. And this has, I guess, been a topic, especially during the pandemic, a lot of people brought this up because e-commerce was booming and, you know, e-commerce was growing at a rate that people didn't anticipate. Uh, and I think we're seeing now that e-commerce at most stores is kind of hit a plateau. It's kind of hit some level, maybe because it's people were just hungry for going back in store and in personal interaction, maybe it's going to go back up. But what do you, what do you feel is the future of brick and mortar? I mean, you think some of the learnings from e-commerce are kind of fed back into brick and mortar now? And Oh, and no question that's... about it. No, no question about it. You mentioned it earlier, the, the, uh, the, the way that e-commerce is able to 
take the data and turn it into meaningful marketing programs. And uh, I think the I think the grocers have learned uh, uh, from this. I'll tell you that it's actually turned around. It's actually declining as a percentage of total sales. If I look across the entire retail landscape, I think it maxed out at just under 20% during the height of the pandemic. And now it's edging back down into around the 15% range, which I think is kind of the natural natural level. I mean, you know, to, to paraphrase Mark Twain, the demise of bricks and mortar uh, retailers has been greatly exaggerated. Uh, I just don't. Uh, I just don't see it happening. I mean, there's so much uh, around the experience of shopping, especially in grocers. I mean, people, uh, you know, they want to. They want to touch things. They want to feel the freshness. They 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 want to have uh, the the experience. If you go into other, we have business in the uh, specialty retail clothing area. We have a business in the in the restaurant business as well, which is a little bit different than what we're talking about. But, uh, you know, this whole idea of uh, shoppertainment is, uh, I think, uh, a key thing where, you know, people want to be out of the house. I think you've got it ab- absolutely right, Shaker. People want to be out of the house. They want to they want to experience the world. We had enough, uh, I, speaking for myself, I've had enough of, of sitting uh, Sitting at home, and and, and I, I want to go out there, and 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 I think that, uh, you know, I think that we're 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 seeing the evolution of the business into more of an ecosystem of ordering and distribution. Uh, you look at some of the things that happened during uh, during the the pandemic, you know, curbside delivery, third party delivery, some of the things we've already talked about. You know, those are things that are going to continue to be be important, but. Uh, the 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 individual is thirsting for the opportunity to go out and meet people yeah. and and relate yeah. and and I think people want choice. They don't want. I think ecom in the pandemic was a necessity, but right. it's, it's going to now live on as a choice, right? Where you it, it's a flexibility of being able to interact with the business in multiple ways, whether it's ordering in your phone or pick up and curbside or walk inside the store. I think people just want to have the independence of making the choice whenever they want to, right? Absolutely. They want to buy the way, the way they want to buy. They want to Correct. have the options of, you know, selection the way they want to do it. And they want, to, they want it either picked up or delivered the way that they want to do it. And I think all of those things are here to stay. Uh, but I don't believe that, uh, uh, that e-com is going to eat bricks and mortar. I think bricks and mortar right. is, going to, is going to live on for a long time because it's, it's what people want to do. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I, I, th- I think at the end of the day, what we're saying here, I think, is that, and we've said this all the while here, Gary, is that data is becomes more and more important if you don't have a way of maintaining your data, don't have data discipline as a business, and collecting interest, important data that's going to enhance your operation, not from a creepiness factor, but more from a factor of how do I use it to minimize losses and increase my margins, serve my customers better, that's really the bottom line. If you don't have that, then I think you're going into this uh, future in a very shaky vehicle, yeah. right? Yeah. You will be at a competitive disadvantage if you exactly. do not, if you do not embrace the data that you're producing and 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 find ways to improve 
you know, your actions uh, based on, on that data, you'll be at a competitive disadvantage and nobody wants to do that. And yeah, and that seems terrific. I mean, companies like yours, Agilence, are doing amazing things with the data for retailers. And how many, are you finding any uh, pushback from retailers of being able to give you the data and let you handle them? How, are they, how many of them want to just do it in-house? I mean, or how do you make them comfortable about uh, Security being the partner? Happen. Yeah, so you know, there's different uh, different uh, retailers are are at different places in their data management journey, so to speak. And so, we have seen, uh, and it's not just pandemic related. We have seen uh, a long term trend toward trusting uh, third parties that can can prove that they're trustable, that they're that they should be trusted. We work very very hard on making sure customers understand that they own their own data and that we are just stewards of it and we try to be very very good stewards of the data so we invest a lot of our time and energy on securing uh, the information making it easily accessible to to our customers and and you know really providing this tool that gives them the, the ability to ask questions the way that they want to ask the question so we make big investments in data security we make big investments in communication security you know in terms of the way they get it to us and 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 the way we give it back we, we have had some situations where customers have been reluctant to give up the data mostly that's been driven by it organizations that are crawling through their own evolutionary path as well mm -hmm. But more and more today, we're seeing people get comfortable with SaaS-based applications, software-as-a-service applications. We're able to convince our customers uh, that their data is secure with us, that we won't mishandle it, and we won't we won't make it available for anything that they don't want it to be available for. Right. Um, and we've been able to be pretty successful in, in doing that and, and change a lot of hearts and minds about it in the IT organization. So we, we're really seeing a, a major transition in willingness to trust third-party vendors like ourselves. Yeah. Fascinating. Wow. No, I think, um, wow, this has been a great conversation. And, you know, it happens very often. We have very interesting guests. And before you know it, we're kind of racing towards the end of the episode. But, uh, Russ, I want to thank your time for being on the show. I'm sure this is going to be very interesting for a lot of our listeners. It certainly was for me and Gary. Whether other people like it or not, it's up to them. But <laughs> I had a great time talking to you. Um, <laughs> I've enjoyed meeting you guys as well, and uh, I've been uh, really excited about the opportunity to to share uh, some of our ideas and really appreciate it. So thank you. Yeah, and I think if I had to give you grades on how you did in your first podcast, you would get an A+. Plus, so. All right. Yeah. Very good. Very good yeah, you did a fantastic job, and I think it was super informative. I, I, I certainly, you know, you had my attention the entire episode. So, yeah. but anyway, so so guys, you know, thank you again for supporting us. I want to thank Stephanie Doherty and our intern for putting this episode out there. And uh, Gary, any closing thoughts before we close out this episode? Oh, Russ, thank you for being with us today. Great, uh, great conversation. Yeah. All right, Gary. Well, thank you, and I'll make sure to let you know about the family reunion. And All right, please yeah. do. <laughs> Thanks so much for your attention. And thanks for giving me confidence. I, I was a little, uh, oh, you did was a little you did. Uh, concerned about my ability to, to keep up with you guys, but uh, no. I, I'm well, glad. I'm you glad did I more did. than that. So uh, well, terrific. You. Make sure to join us every Monday and connect with us at The Retail Perch on Instagram and Facebook. And if you have any questions, feel free to email us at theretailperch at birdseye.com.
Until next time, this is Shaker. And this is Gary, signing off. 